Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are in week four of our Advent series, Set Free and Made Whole. And if you joined us for our conversation last week, thank you so much for jumping into a very real conversation on disappointments, how we handle them, and how it connects to our understanding of the kingdom of God. I really appreciate, you know, how we can, again, span so many different frameworks uh, within the space of Advent. And this week, the theme is love. And as we're in your Ave lectionary, our text comes to us from Matthew. Um, At first, I really found it difficult to connect some of the dots between the text and the theme, but I hope you'll stick with me as we explore it together. So I will read the text for us here, coming from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. So... Of course, a little bit of context for this text is helpful. Matthew opens his gospel with Jesus' genealogy. This is the text that Aaron preached on back in November when he visited, uh, talking about the five mothers of Jesus. And this is not necessarily a complete history, but rather a theological statement in the form of one. Matthew lists 42 generations, which is six blocks of seven names. And for Matthew, the seventh age, the one of completion and wholeness, is about to begin with the birth of Jesus. And secondly, um, you know, what Aaron had talked about within Matthew's genealogy is that there are the names of five women included. Uh, There is this theme of five, a a lot of... a lot within the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, There are five sections, um, symbolic of the five books of Moses. In Matthew's Christmas story, there are five Old Testament citations, five dreams, five scriptural fulfillments, and five uses of the word Messiah. And as Aaron shared with us, including women in a genealogy was unusual. Yet Matthew lists uh, five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, And it's, of course, as we talked about, not exactly a straightforward group of women um, between their work, um, their their own bloodlines and connection um, for a genealogy. This is a very different approach and there is intention behind it. Uh, The text also doesn't have 
any real parallel in any of the other Gospels, so it is special to Matthew. And this is what comes right before the text that we read earlier. Now, I don't think it is as important or useful to go into the work of deciding for the text and for Mary whether or not Immaculate Conception is a real event or not. Um, Remember, parables and stories from the biblical text often have much less to do with everything being literal and much more to do with how they inspire us to suspend our normal judgment or thought process and be open to being taught something in the meantime. Scripture that reads in Hebrew as a young woman is pregnant and has born a son has been re-transcribed into a Greek translation so that it forever read, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And even though young women become pregnant and bear children all the time, uh, Mary is kind of uh, subjected by this transcription to this sense that has then become so elevated over the course of history. There are very real possibilities in this historical time that Mary could have suffered violence, um, but regardless of how Mary ends up pregnant with Jesus out of wedlock while she was engaged to Joseph. In this predicament, she could have been stoned to death, as could the father of the child if known. And adherence to the law was the definition of justice for many. Um, So strictly speaking, under this law, Mary would have died. And Matthew presents Joseph as a just man. He didn't want to expose Mary to public ridicule and decides to release her secretly. And the word that's used there, it can mean divorce, but it seems kind of unlikely to be able to do that based on, you know, being in a small town, everyone knowing everyone. Um, You know, it could mean that Joseph was thinking of sending Mary away to have the baby, but even still doesn't solve the problem. But regardless, Joseph is trying to handle the situation with minimal damage to, you know, Mary's reputation, his own reputation, and is portrayed as elevating compassion, concern uh, for Mary above the strict adherence to the law. I think it's interesting to consider Joseph's privilege within the society. He's a male in a culture that privileges males. He's also a descendant of the house of David, um, which means that he is in a privileged position when it comes to continuing that bloodline, the birth of Messiah. And Jesus needs both Joseph's line and Mary's witness to connect his tradition his family line, and the mystery of being Christ. And I give Joseph uh, major props for trusting in this moment to decide to stick with Mary through whatever the journey brought them, even though it meant facing possible physical harm. And what's interesting, I saw something floating around, of course, right? Uh, It was kind of a quote around, you know, how typical and elevated this idea of both biblical womanhood and biblical manhood um, has been used you know in so many uh, I'd say evangelical churches um, as these guides for how we are supposed to live our lives Um, and of course Rachel Held Evans wrote a book uh, a year of biblical womanhood where she goes through you know all of 
the the verses that lift up you know how she was supposed to act as a woman according to this tradition within the evangelical church and writes through um why why it doesn't apply why it doesn't work um and i think when i think back around you know the the saturdays where there'd be in the churches that i was attending you know women's groups and then men's groups men's groups always had these like super macho like we're gonna grill steaks and golf and bond as men um there's a lot of these external expressions of manhood being strong you know trying to provide whatever it was and then we have joseph who is in the bible is supposedly displaying what they would call biblical manhood and his approach is in a very humble silent um, affirming of women affirming of mary's uh, reputation um, is elevating compassion is willing to submit to um, kind of this word from the lord word from the spirit and move on um, that is a very different picture again, than I think what we sometimes see lifted up as quote-unquote biblical manhood. Even still, I do believe that Mary's identity is the true underpinning um, of Jesus' story, but like always, it's a both-and. It took Mary's courage to do the thing, to carry through, to birth the Christ, not knowing whether or not Joseph or anyone else she knew would throw her to the wayside. It also took Joseph believing her, or at least suspending judgment and making the choice to assume responsibility for her care, even in a precarious situation. So in many ways, I think this text points us in a couple of directions of one, believing women is a matter of life and death, and two, second guessing whether or not something or someone loves you whether that is a divine or a person, uh, I would not consider to be true love. And three, our decisions display our love or lack thereof more than words ever will. I wonder about those in-between moments, what went through Joseph's head each day for the next several months as Mary's stomach continued to grow. I wonder what Mary's experience of morning sickness would have been like what fears, doubts, even rage might come to her. She's human, and I can guarantee that even with being mother to Jesus, she was not perfect uh, in her faith or belief. And besides, all these emotions would be valid in my book anyway. I can only imagine the level of unease that they both existed in throughout that time. And my hope and my curiosity is whether this unease could have been a bridge for them into a deeper understanding of each other, a deeper connection. At the very least, Mary was a teenager at this time. She was taken by surprise herself in learning this news of her role in Jesus' story and what it meant for her own. To bring it back to our theme, love is about handling the difficult in life as much as the fun, the bright, the happy, right? I know a while back I shared a quote I learned from a mother whose child had died, and it's a quote in Farsi that goes, loosely translated to, love is a bridge and I will meet you there. 
Love is a choice to trust, to have faith, to be willing to be known and to know. Doesn't mean that it's perfect, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. In fact, the more we open ourselves up to love, the more we open ourselves up to possible grief as well. But grief isn't an enemy to us. Unease in the sense of journeying into the unknown isn't our enemy either. Think of everything that Mary and Joseph might have gone through or thought about during this time. All of the decisions that they had to make to help carry out the next part of a divine story. Now, of course, similarly to Ryan's take on joy, turning it into a sermon on disappointment, I guess I have found myself turning a sermon on love into working with unease. But I think the message is true. For everything that I've experienced, and of course, y'all can jump in on Sunday, uh, share from your own lived experience, I found that the test of love is not when things are easy. It's a test when everything is chaos. How do you respond? How do you choose? How do you advocate for those you want to be intimately connected to? And that, for me, is a love to believe in. That, for me, is how we can be set free from the weight of insecurity or judgment and live into how we've been made whole together. Scott Erickson is an artist uh, that we've mentioned before, and he has a book called Honest Advent, where he works through several images and texts, um, one of which is called Unease. And I'll post it on the website and on our Uh, social media too, so you can see it. But he says this about unease in the image. Unease is a strategy of the soul to protect you from doing the things as usual that could harm this new life being grown in you. It's for love that you've been moved from what is known to what is unknown. It's for love that you've been moved from your comfortable perch so you can be enlarged by a different perspective. It is for love that you've been broken open so a larger capacity of faith, hope, and love can be built inside you. For love. It's because you are loved. Nothing about Mary's story is easy. And in that, yes, nothing in in Joseph's probably either. But their willingness to sit together in the unease, and in the unknown is, for me, a love to believe in. As we expand that to our own lives, some of the questions that we might kind of talk through on Sunday is where have you been stretched in order to experience or share love? What are some of the obstacles that get in our way Um, of being open to being stretched in that way? And what is unease's role, I guess, in our faith, in um, our lives, in our loves, and in what we're striving to be? So with that, I'm excited for our conversation on Sunday. Um, I'll close with a few affirmations um, from Scott Erickson's book, to send us out for this weekend. I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. 
But may the unease of your stretching and expanding be the promise of divine love growing in you, a new life of unforeseen possibility. May you awaken to the inseparable love of God by the very breathing you are not in charge of. May your belief in the resurrection of all things trust in the process of the death of all things. And may all of your impossibilities be the very starting point for divine possibility. So as we go, know that you are loved. Know that we hope um, that you feel known and seen within this community, within this space. And that we have the chance to continue to grow in that vulnerability, um, that unease, to be real with disappointments, uh, to experience love, to experience hope, to share and joy with one another. With all that said, um, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. <laughs>